0: We're starting a new series um, in first light on evangelism. Um, It's really important to understand evangelism and to understand uh, God's purposes. If we understand God's purposes, we'll be be part of evangelism in our lives. This series is probably going to be at least 13, 14 different Sundays. And we good? All right. Everybody should have a handout. And so we are, um, to be part of what God's about, we have to be about making disciples. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Who would like to read that for us? Okay, Bob. All Okay, we see this is a picture in Matthew 28. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He meets his disciples on the mountain, and he makes this incredible statement that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So, what's he going to use his authority for? Yeah, he's going to make disciples, right? His authority, he uses it with his disciples and tells them to do what? Make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that today as we have some young disciples who will be baptized. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's mission in this world is to make disciples. And so all of his authority in heaven on earth is for the purpose of what? Making disciples. In working with College Plus, we take students through a a life purpose planning um, module and help them figure out what degree, path they want to pursue, those those kind of things. Uh, But the reality is we don't have to look very far to figure out what our purpose is. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tells us our purpose is to do what? Make disciples. Now, the question may be, in what sphere of this world do I want to make disciples? Do I want to make disciples when I'm in education, or when I'm in engineering, or when I'm in business, or whether I'm in law enforcement, or in criminal justice, or whatever the situation is, that's, I choose a sphere to be in, but in every sphere, my, my, my purpose is the same, which is what? To make disciples, Okay. The purpose of this course is to help us be equipped to make disciples by proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ to people who are not disciples with the goal that they would be brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told about the gifts God gives to the church. The scripture says in verse 11, And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And what's their purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood. The purpose of this is to equip us. This is not just another series we're going to go through. We're going to, we want to listen and go, oh, those are wonderful ideas. Those were that was some great thoughts. The purpose of this is to equip us that we might be better at making disciples by proclaiming Christ to people who don't know Jesus. So let's ask the Lord to help us in that. Father, we come before you today as we start this series. And Lord, we ask you for grace that you would use your word to strengthen us and to make us into the men and women you want us to be. And Father, I pray that you would work in us that we might proclaim Jesus to all kinds of people around us who don't know him, and that you might be merciful and save some father i pray that you would help us to be teachable lord help us to obey in the midst of fear and to walk in a way that honors you in jesus name amen in your little handout here let's kind of look at the series we're going to be going through okay today's lesson is are you into what god is up to and unfortunately, we met, some of us may have to say, we're really not into what God's up to. We're into coming to church, and we're into trying to live the Christian life, but as far as this evangelism thing goes, we're really not into that. It's maybe seen as an option. Maybe it's just for the evangelists, the people who just have this fiery passion to tell everybody about Jesus, but I'm not one of those, so I just kind of opt out of that situation. So we're going to talk about that today today. Um, Looking at evangelism and God's purpose in history. Second, in our second session, it'll be what is our role in evangelism? We're going to talk about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I think this will be a very encouraging lesson as we understand that God is very concerned about evangelism and he wants it to take place. And he is ensured that it'll be successful. And yet he's called us to play a part in that. Three, what is the gospel? Defining the truth that saves sinners. Four, so what happened to you? Learning how to share the gospel through your testimony. Session five, they believe this too. The local church and the power of the corporate witness. There's something powerful about the church gathered and people watching us interact. And people understand there's something different about us as we do that. Six, how do I share the gospel? Learning and Applying Biblical Strategies. There'll be a part one and a part two to that. Seven, what if they reject me? That's not what if they will reject me. The question is they will reject me. They will reject this message because of the fall of man. Eight, answering objections. Nine, session nine is being intentional and strategic in evangelism. Ten is sharing with family and coworkers. 11 deals with Roman Catholics, how to talk with them. 12, how to talk with Jews. And 13, how to talk with Muslims. And we're having a lot more Muslims coming our direction. So that's kind of the overview of where we're going in the next 13, 14 weeks. Today we want to look at God's purpose through history. The Bible tells us to be imitators of God as beloved children, Ephesians 5, 1. So if we're going to imitate someone, we have to understand who they are and what is important to them. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis 1.1. We all should be able to quote this one. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. And the question is, why did God create the heavens and the earth? Why did God create the universe? Some people believe that God was lonely and that he needed man to, to help him be unlonely. Um, what they don't understand, though, is, is that God has been a trinity forever. He's always existed and he's always had fellowship the Father with the Son, and the Son with the Spirit, and the Spirit with the Father. It's a loving relationship that's already gone on forever, the other direction, and it'll go on forever in this direction. If you'll remember in our series on the attributes of God by Steve Lawson, we talked about a character quality or an uh, attribute of God called aseity. Remember the aseity? Everybody's kind of got that blank look on their face like, what is that? Remember aseity is that God is self-existent. We're not self-existent. We're here because of God. God exists on his own. Nobody supports him. Nobody props him up. And part of the aseity of God is that God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anyone. He is completely self-existent and content with who he is. So why does God, why did God create the heavens and the earth? Um... He created the world out of love and a desire to share his glory. That's why he created the world. And he loved man. He created man in his own image. Isaiah Isaiah 43, 7. If you're writing taking down notes here, let's turn to that real quickly. Somebody read that for us. 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Okay, we were created, why? For his glory. Everyone who is called by his name, we were created for his glory, to share in his glory, to see his glory. Genesis one twenty six and 27. Who wants to read that?
1: God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female he created them.
0: So what does that tell us? God loved us so much, he created us how? In his own image. For the purpose of being what? Like him. It was a loving act creation in the creation of man. And he said it was very good. Genesis 2 7 through 9. So here we have God. He makes man, forms him out of the dust of the earth. And he gives man everything for his what? Enjoyment. His pleasure. Everything. This morning, did everybody get some pleasure out of the breakfast that was here? I know I did. The sausage was really good. Food. Life. The beauty of God's creation. Everything on display. God gave it to us because he loves us and he cares for us. We also see in verses 16 and 17 that he made blessings and boundaries. Who wants to read 16 and 17 for us in chapter 2? Tim, you want to read that for us? And the Lord God
1: commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die.
0: Wow. So notice in that picture, what do we see? How many trees could he he eat of? All except one. That's what I call very light restrictions. He could have restricted all the trees except for what? One. And a lot of times we live that way, don't we? As if he's restricted everything from us except for just one little thing. And the reality is he has given us all these things to enjoy but there is a restriction of one thing that we cannot have so god made the world good he made it for us to delight in and as we delight in the world and all that he's created we delight in him and we glory in him and that brings him glory genesis 2:25 we see that god's world is perfect there was no sin there was no death There was no murder. There was no impurity. No fear. No jealousy. No haunting memories. No calloused hearts. No regret. No blame. No shame. What a beautiful creation God made. And if that was the case, there would be no need for evangelism. If the story stopped there, right? If the story had just stopped there... We wouldn't even need to have this 14 point series on evangelism, would we? Because everyone would what? Love God and love all that He'd made and would never have, have sin. We would never have shame. We would never have guilt. We'd never have broken relationships. What a world that was. What a world it will be one day when He returns. But right now, we know what kind of world we're dealing with, don't we? It continues to surprise us with the things that go on. So Genesis 3 gives us our reason for evangelism. Here we see the serpent. He shows up in the garden, Satan. And we see here that he immediately questions the goodness of God. He causes Adam and Eve to question the goodness of God. And that led them into what? Sin. When you sin, it always is preceded by what? Questioning what? God's goodness, right? God has not given me a fair deal, therefore I need to do this. If God had just done this, then I wouldn't have to do this. So we're no different than Adam and Eve, are we? And so Satan comes and he questions God's goodness. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman had said to the serpent, We may eat of the tr- fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She didn't quite have the whole commandment right there. She was close. And then he says this, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God didn't make you, what? Like him. God's been holding back on you. And so, if you just of this fruit, you'll be like him. What do we read in, in Genesis 1? We were made, what? In his image. We were made to be like Him. We were made to be what? Holy. Once they disobeyed, they were no longer what? Holy. They weren't like God. They were like who? Satan. They had went from having God as their father to who is their father? Satan. God's holding out. And God doesn't hold out. God is good and he's great. And that's the message of the evangelist is God is good and he's great. And he offers hope and help. Genesis 3:7, who wants to read that for us? We'll let Tim read this one. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All right. So after they sinned, what did they experience? Shame, didn't they? They experienced shame. And they knew they were naked. And they quickly created a new wardrobe. Genesis 3, 8 through 11. What happens here? Who wants to read that for us? Now, if they hadn't have eaten and that same scenario had happened, what would have been the response? When they heard the Lord in the garden, they would have ran to Him. And they had walked with Him in the garden and they would have had fellowship, wouldn't they? That should have been a sweet sound. The Lord in the garden. But it wasn't because of their sin. Notice Notice what God says. Where are you? A probing question, isn't it? And he continues to ask that question to men. Where are you? Are you right with me? What have you done? Notice what God does. that was 311 so then what 312 notice what happens yep it's time to play the blame game somebody messed up and somebody's got to be responsible and so Adam blames the wife and the wife blames Satan and here it goes resentment and blame and bitterness and God gives a threefold curse in verses 14 through 19. Who wants to read that for us?
1: In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heard the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall
0: So we have the threefold curse. What was the first curse? The serpent. Okay. The serpent was the first curse, right? And what was the curse of the serpent? You crawl on his belly. And verse fifteen, what would happen to him? This particular serpent, what would happen to him? There would, be, there would come a son of man who would crush his head. Okay? What was the curse for a woman? Okay, pan childbirth. And what was the curse for a man? Not work, but frustrating work. Right? There was work before the fall, but after the fall, we now have thorns and thistles, and now the ground doesn't give what it normally would give. So now it's a lot more work to have to get what we need. Notice that in the midst of this curse, there's a what in verse 15? There's a promise, isn't there? Praise God for the promise in 15. I will put in between between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, singular, He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. This is the first reference to the gospel. That there will be a man come from Adam and Eve that would one day have victory over what Satan had accomplished. And Adam and Eve looked for it right from the get-go. They thought Abel or Cain might have been that promised one. And they were all looking forward to this one coming. But it wasn't, it wasn't them. Look at Genesis uh, 3.21. Who wants to read that for us? And the Lord God made
1: for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and
0: clothed them. Okay. So we have a promise of one coming. And then we have this situation where there weren't fig leaves, and God does what? He kills an animal. Because of their sin, something else had to die, for someone else had to die, and that animal died, and they took the skin of that animal, and God made clothes for them. God gives them a picture to remember the promise. God has made them garments of skin. An innocent animal's blood is shed, and now God strips off Adam and Eve's fig leaves of self-righteousness and clothes them in the blameless garment of one who died in their place. A beautiful picture of the coming righteousness of Jesus to take that place. Then what does God do in 324? 324? Because of their sin, he removes them from what? The garden. He kicks them out. And he, and he has angels who guard the gate. So here we are. Because of this event in Genesis 3, all of mankind has been separated from God. And as we walk through the, through the passages of scripture, we go to Genesis 6. In Genesis 6, we have the flood. God promises a flood judgment. And, but anyone who makes it into the ark will avoid his what? Judgment. God again paints a picture. He paints the picture of what? There is an ark, and if you're in the ark, you are free from the judgment of God. Again, another picture of Jesus Christ. The great ark that all who are in Christ will not face the judgment of God. Then we go to Genesis 11, and we see the Tower of Babel, where they sought to exalt themselves to the highest heavens, and God judged them and sent them off in confusion and with no direction. But in Genesis 12, God picks a man named Abraham. He chooses a man, and he makes this promise to him, He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God, of all the families of the earth, chose this man in which he would show his grace to, in who he would give his law to, who he had send the prophets to, and who eventually the one man predicted in Genesis 3.15 would come. To be the savior of the world, we know obviously we went through Genesis in the very end. They end up going back into Egypt, don't they, to avoid the drought? And there, we just saw the story today of the plagues that took place. And God chose to get glory there, and God chose to deliver them. But you remember the last plague. The last plague was a plague of death on the firstborn of all households, whether it was Hebrew households or Egyptian households. But if a lamb was taken and slaughtered and the blood was put over the doorposts of the house, then the death angel, when it passed, would pass over the house. And we know that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Lamb was a picture of this coming one whose blood, if put upon the life of a person, would cause God's judgment to what? over. And most of us here today know Jesus, right? And we don't experience his judgment because of the blood of Jesus. So here we have that same picture. In Exodus. Then we have Mount Sinai. We have the giving of the law. And we have this sacrificial system where there's a lot of animals being killed and slaughtered for the purpose of forgiveness of sins. And Hebrews 9 and 10 tell us this was just a picture of the coming what? Lamb whose blood and sacrifice would once for all set people free from their sin. God's plan from the beginning was evangelistic to save people from their sin. And then we have 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, as we continue to go down the hallway of history. Who would like to read 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13? Here's King David. He is now risen to the throne. And what do we read about him there? Second Samuel so.
1: When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after. So,
0: it, so we know David had a son who followed Solomon. And Solomon had, had iniquity. He had a divided heart from God. Uh, and the kingdom was split in two. But God made a promise to David here that he would have a kingdom. And he would have a descendant who would reign forever. That was a promise of Jesus who would one day reign forever. So David's kingdom will eventually reign because, because Jesus is in the line of who? David. Old Testament prophecy points to a Savior. We see that with the virgin birth. We see that with being born in Bethlehem. We see that with the miracles that were prophesied in the Old Testament. Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. And the whole Old Testament is looking and anticipating and longing to see this one who would come, this Messiah. We see that he was also a suffering servant in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, that this servant of God wouldn't just be the king, but he would be one who suffered and died. And then finally, we get to the New Testament, right? And the the anticipation's over. And now the one who we've all been waiting for comes. And he lives a sinless life. And he keeps all the law and the prophets. And he did what the first Adam didn't do. He completely loved God and obeyed God. And chose to be the sacrifice for men's sin. So here we have Jesus forsaken, beaten, arrested, betrayed and crucified. And at that moment all of history came into focus. Here's Genesis 3:15. Here's the c- fulfillment of that. As even though he's bruised, he's killed, he crushes Satan. And the Bible says he leads captive in his train as he takes people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God has an evangelistic heart as we see as we go through the scriptures. We see Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, which we read earlier, saying that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Go into all the nations and make disciples. For the Jews, it was really pretty much what? It was us and us alone. The Messiah is our Savior. He's the one. And yet, Jesus says what? Go into all the nations. Go to the Gentiles and take this incredible message. And then we have Pentecost. Ten days after Jesus ascends into heaven, we have Pentecost, which is what? The pouring out of the Spirit upon the church. And they speak in all these different languages. And they proclaim the glory of God. And there's this huge influx of people into the church of Jesus Christ. And even though they even though people went throughout the world proclaiming the gospel and they suffered and they were in tribulation and all these different things, the gospel went forth. If you turn to Revelation chapter 5 Jesus gave the commission, the disciples went forth, the disciples are still going forth today. Are we going forth? Are we taking the message to those around us? We sit here today as the recipients of those who brought the message to us. There's no one here who didn't have someone share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ or give the scriptures to them Notice in Revelation 5, we see a picture in heaven. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scrolls and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here we see around the throne, myriads and myriads of people, when you get over, I think it's invert. maybe it's a little bit later in, the, in Revelation, um, to these people from every people, tribe, and nation who have been brought into the kingdom. But the reality is, God's grace has a limit. God's mercy has a limit. He says, repent now, for, the, for now is the day of salvation. When we turn to Revelation 19, we see the king coming, don't we? 19.11 Then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, and with it he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of of Lords. One day the offer of salvation will be over. One day there will be no more mercy. One day there will be judgment. And if we turn to Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So from Genesis to Revelation, we see the story that God has a plan from Genesis 3 forward. And obviously he had a plan before the foundation of the world to rescue people that had been devastated as a result of the fall. You and, I got, you and I walk around people all the time who are still living in the kingdom of darkness. And yet God has shown the passion and the desire to make a way for them to have salvation. From Genesis 3.15, he predicted his son would come. And finally, thousands of years later, he did come. He lived the perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he made a way for salvation. And then we see in Matthew 28 19 and 20, his passion is for us to do what? Make disciples. To take people who are his disciples, to take people who are his enemies, and to proclaim to them the glory of God. If you look back in Genesis, God's plan all along was for his glory. He desired for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people made in his what? Image. Who would do what? Who would worship him. His vision was a world of worshipers from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. Enjoying him, glorying in him, Receiving his love and loving him. That was his plan. And we're about the task of helping fulfill that vision. By finding those people who will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And who will be forgiven of their sin. And who can put off the old man and put on the new man. And become worshippers of him. It's a great and holy task that we all get to participate in. And we all do it in different ways. And we all don't have to do it the same way. But we all want to be about what he's about. We want to be part, we want to be in the game. For, for those of us here who played sports, It's not just enough to get to the game and sit on the bench. It really isn't. It is what? It's getting in the game. This morning, I guess the question we need to ask ourselves in regard to evangelism as we start this study is, are you in the game? not can you talk a good game and not are you sitting there watching the game take place the question is are you are you in the game am i in the game are we part of god's purpose and are we pushing god's purpose forward by his grace and his power paul was in the game In Colossians chapter one, I want you to see what Paul's passion is. Colossians one, verse twenty eight Him we proclaim. Who's him? christ warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone what mature in christ that's paul's that's paul's plan is to help as many people as possible be be mature in christ for this (laughs) i toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me Paul struggled and he toiled with whose energy? God's energy in bringing everyone to maturity. So, three quick lessons for us to take away today. Number one, the purpose of history is to bring God glory. This is fill-in-the-blank time for you who have, who have a compulsion by having all the blanks full. Okay, It's really important. Yvonne, I saw that hand, Yvonne. <laughs> okay. It means that everything we do in life, including evangelism, ultimately is to display to the world that God is worthy of our lives. We're told in 2 Corinthians that we're his ambassadors. John Piper says in his book, Let the nations be glad. Missions exist because worship does not. And there's people around us in which they are not worshiping. And we can't make them worshipers. We can't change their heart, but we can do what? We can bring them the message that God is good, that he loves them, that he offers forgiveness, and he can change them. Secondly, God is the evangelist. God's not asking you to do something he doesn't do. God's very heart is that of an evangelist. He delights in saving sinners. Think about Jesus and Nicodemus. Not Nicodemus, Zacchaeus. And telling Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And some good stuff's going to happen at your house because I'm going there. We must remember that God is the one who has compassion on the lost, and he's the one who's seeking and saving them. We're merely joining him in his great purpose. Our purpose in life must be determined by God's purpose. As we have seen his great love for sinners in our, in our own salvation, we ought, to, we ought to delight in joining him and helping others come to know him. And finally, number three, we've been entrusted with the honor and responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. It is an honor and it is a privilege. Evangelism is not an elective for the believer. All of us went to high school, right? In some form or fashion, and you had what were called what? Electives, right? That means you could elect to do it, Or you could elect what? Not to do it. Evangelism is not an elective. And you won't receive the full joy that you should know unless you're involved in it. It's a command and it's a responsibility and it's also an honor. We have the privilege to be Christ's ambassadors. It's such a blessing. So here's your homework assignment. First, We're going to pray for God to give you and I a heart for the lost. If we don't have a heart for the lost, it really doesn't matter. We can go through the whole series. Second, for open doors. And third, three people to share with. And the second assignment is I want us to make sure if we haven't already, I want us to memorize Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I want us to meditate on that this week. That is the main thing. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And we are grateful that you are the great evangelist. And that because of your great emphasis and because of your command that, that Jesus gave to his disciples, we are believers now because of that. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us replace our heart attitudes and our understanding of what you called us to do. And that you would equip us with ways in which we can clearly proclaim the gospel to people who don't know you. Father, I pray that this series will be an equipping time for us as a church. That we would truly grow in the role of being a light to this community. And it happens as a corporate body and it also happens individually as we permeate this area with our lives. Father, we pray that you would do what only you can, which is open doors. And we pray that you would give us opportunities to share the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you do what only you can, and that is to soften our heart, to be submissive to your command for your glory and your honor, and that you would give us compassion for those who are in the kingdom of darkness.